Today's word comes from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just pause and pray together again. Lord, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would speak in very personal ways through this passage. I pray that nobody who has really come to know Jesus would be shaken or condemned. But I pray for any of us who have not met him that you would reveal that. Bring us to him. Amen. We've been uh, studying the New Testament book of James, and today we come to a portion of that book in which James kind of gives us a test that we can use um, to determine uh, whether or not our faith in Jesus is real. Um, You'll notice he talks about the difference between faith that saves, verse 14, and faith that doesn't, faith that he calls dead faith. Uh, Verse 17, the difference between faith that is useless, verse 20, and and faith, verse 22, that is made complete. So uh, according to James, among those who profess profess faith in Christ, um, there are different kinds of faith. There's real faith and there's, um, I guess, artificial faith. And so he kind of, he's giving us here a test that we can use just so that we know what kind of faith we have. A test. So I want to point out a few thoughts about this, this test that we're given for, for faith. I'll talk on these three things. First, the need for this test. Secondly, the nature of this test. And then third, how to pass the test. All right? So start with the need. Why do we even need to talk about this? Well, is, is this even healthy for people to question the authenticity of our faith? Um, why risk 
unnecessarily burdening people with condemnation or fear or you know you would think if somebody listen if someone has professed faith they've been baptized they've joined a church we should just you know take it at that and leave it alone why why do we really do we really need to test our faith apparently we do if uh if you read the new testament here's what you'll find um jesus and the apostles frequently not just once in a while, frequently talked about the danger of thinking that we have come into a living relationship with God through faith in Christ, thinking we have that relationship when we don't. I mean, they talked about it all the time. For example, Jesus, Matthew 7, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And... Um, Paul, 2 Corinthians 13, he told church members, he said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Peter said something very similar. 2 Peter 1, he said, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Like, don't just leave this to chance. Make sure you have really heard the internal call of the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, John, the whole book of 1 John, the whole purpose of the book is so that, Christians, so that people who claim to be Christians would know whether they really are. So you would know if, if your faith is real. Jude, in his epistle, warned a congregation about that there would be church members, he said, who aren't real believers, and they're going to cause all kinds of problems. The book of Hebrews uh, tells us, quote, see to it that no one in your church has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So this is, this is not a minor theme. Um, virtually every writer in the New Testament expressed concern, heartfelt concern, for the well-being of individuals who profess faith in Christ, maybe they've aligned themselves with the church, and yet nevertheless, listen, maybe without even knowing it themselves, they've never truly been brought by the Holy Spirit into a living relationship with God through union in Christ. They were all, Jesus and the apostles, deeply concerned for the well-being of people who have kind of an outward involvement in the church, but they've never really met Jesus. Now, th if, think about it. If that was true in the days of the early church, I mean, people weren't just kind of drifting into the church back. It wasn't kind of easy. In the, days, in the first century, Christianity was new. In the eyes of the world, if you were a Christian, you had joined some kind of weird cult. Nobody knew what you were, and Christians were often persecuted. So people weren't just kind of stumbling into the church back then. If even then there was a danger that there might be people gathering in the name of Jesus who don't know Jesus, think about the danger today especially in a, in, in a nation like ours, especially for those of us who grew up in Christian homes, that you might just, that, that we might, the danger, guys, that we might mistake involvement in the life of a congregation, right, or adherence to a, a body of doctrine, that we might mistake those things for a real relationship with God. Do you see that? That's why Jesus came into this world, that we would have a real relationship with the living God. You know that, don't you? Jesus, 
Jesus didn't come into this world just to start a new religion. Hmm? We already had plenty of religions when he came. He came so that people could know God, really know God. John 10, verse 10, he said, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. Have it to the full. Excuse me. So, you know, apparently since, since this is what Jesus wants us to have, a living relationship with God, and since it's so easy to confuse that with, with sort of a, um, a counterfeit, just in, in, it's kind of a religi- religiosity, we need, to, we need this test. We need to be able to test our faith. So that's the need for the test. Now, secondly, the nature of the test. Remember... When you were in school, some of you still are in school, and you're going to have midterms, you're going to have a final, and you raise your hand. What do you say to the teacher? Hey, what's going to be on the test? You want to know, right? What's going to be on the test? What will be the format of the test? Didn't you want to know? Is it multiple choice? Is it essay? You know, how do I prepare? Um, so what's on the test? What's the nature of this test? How do, how do we test our faith to know if it's real? Now, someone might say, it's probably got something to do with Bible knowledge, Right? Your doctrine, your, your theology, is that correct? If you know enough about the Bible, and if your theology is good, you pass. Now listen, James, oh man, he pokes a hole in that thought, doesn't he, with verse 19. What does he say? He says, you believe that there is one God. In other words, you have a perfectly orthodox, monotheistic faith. You believe that there is one God. Good. He says, pat yourself on the back, but even the demons believe that and shudder. So he says to uh, those who take pride in their Bible knowledge, we need a Bible knowledge is important, but he says, listen, every demon in hell is a better theologian than you are, all right? Every demon in hell knows more about God and his nature than you do, but they tremble with fear because they are headed for eternal destruction. So it's not, passing the test is not just knowledge up here. And someone will say, oh, I'm glad you said that, Pastor, because I know it's not what you have up here. It's what you got in here, right? Uh, it's like, have you ever, do you feel the Lord? That's, you know, that's what someone will say. It's experience. If you have had a deeply personal spiritual experience where, you know, you've felt God's presence, you've wept in his presence, then you know you have the real thing. No. Guys, our feelings are so easy to confuse, aren't they? I've felt all kinds of things in the course of my life. It, listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, Paul says there that it's possible for us to, to have such deeply personal spiritual engagement that we actually prophesy, we speak in tongues, and yet he says, and yet be absolutely nothing at all, a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. You will find people who have had very deep spiritual experiences who don't know Jesus. So it's not what you know, it's not what you feel. Well, someone else will say, well, it's probably... It's what you do in the church. It's your effectiveness in ministry, right? Does you, do you have an impact on the lives of others? Do you, do, do you have gifts that, that make a difference? For, is God using you? That's how you know that your faith is real. And again, that's not on the test. You know, think about Judas, right? Judas sent out with the other apostles. He preached the gospel. He cast out demons. He healed people. You talk about an effective minister. 
And yet at the end of the day, he was Judas, right? And so Jesus, for, Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, on the final day, the day of judgment, he said, many will come to me and talk about their ministry involvement. They'll say, Lord, we preached in your name and we cast out demons in your name. And we healed people. We did all these great things for you. And Jesus will say, I don't even know you. I mean, I'm glad you did all this great work for my church. You know, thank you. But uh, depart from me. I've, you and I, you and I, we've never met You've been very involved in the work of the church, but you've never met the Lord of the church. That's what he's going to say. So listen, what's on the test? It's not Bible knowledge. It's not your feelings. It's not how many ministries you sign up for. The evidence that your faith is real, James says. It's obedience. It's obedience to God. Says, it's like if you see somebody hungry and they don't have a coat and it's cold outside and you say, oh, I hope you have a nice day. Be well fed. Keep warm. You don't do anything. If you're just talking. That's, he said that's what it's like when you, you go around professing faith in Christ, but you, there's no obedience. You're just talking. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. So the evidence... The evidence that you've really met Christ will be obedience. And he gives us two examples of this in, in the Old Testament, Abraham and Rahab. Two very different people, but similar. Uh, similar evidence of faith in their life. Abraham, the great patriarch, the father of, of, of the, uh, the Hebrew nation. God came to Abraham and made a promise. He said, Abraham, I know you have no children, but I will give you and your wife a son. Your son will have kids. I will make you into a great nation. I, you will bless the world through you. That was the promise, and Abraham believed. You say, well, how do we know he believed? We know he believed because when God gave him a son and God said, go sacrifice that kid on an altar, you know what? Abraham was willing to do it. He was going through with it. God stopped him, but he was willing. The book of Hebrews tells us Abraham is thinking to himself, listen, if God can give me a son, even though, uh, you know, I'm infertile, you know, he can raise my son if he dies. God can do anything I trust. So how do you know he believed the promise? Because he said he believed the promise? Because he obeyed. The word of the Lord. It's the same with Rahab. Rahab was a Canaanite woman who encountered the Hebrews as they were entering the land of Canaan. And if you ever, listen, if you read in Joshua 2, um, Rahab gives, I think, one of the most beautifully eloquent professions of faith that you will find anywhere in the Bible. Her words are just beautiful, declaring her faith in the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh, just declaring his, that he's the God of the whole world. Incredible declaration of faith. How do we know she wasn't just talking? Because she took active steps to separate herself from her pagan culture and to ally herself with the covenant people of God by, by hiding these Hebrew slave, or spies. Okay, so in other words, you know by what she did. So for both Abraham and Rahab, the evidence that they weren't just saying they believed, that it was real, was that they obeyed God. Now we might ask, okay, those are our examples. I don't 
think God wants me to climb a mountain and sacrifice my kids, and I don't see any Hebrew spies that I can protect, so what kind of obedience does he want from me? Well, it, you know, listen, if you remember from two weeks ago, James chapter 1, what a verse. James 1 verse 27 it says this. this. Guys, this is what God is looking for from us. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And I heard both of those themes in the prayer that Kara prayed for us. God, we are a people separate. Let us be separate from the world around us, but let us help with the, the needs of, of the suffering. It's kind of, it's, it's a two-pronged obedience. It is this desire to live a life that is not contaminated by the greed and materialism and immorality and worldliness of our culture, and yet a life that is actively engaged with the suffering of those around us. It's both of those things. God says, I want both that's the kind of obedience that's evidence that your faith is real. So here's the question James wants every one of us here to ask ourselves: Am I obeying God that way? Now, somebody's probably thinking, oh my, I am in tr- I'm in trouble. Because I, I, you know, a lot of times I obey God that way, but sometimes I really mess up. Sometimes I really fall short. Now listen, let me just... Let me explain something. James here is not talking about flawless perfection. He's not. And the reason I say that is because two verses after this this passage, James chapter 3, verse 2, here's what he says. He says, we all stumble in many ways. We all... We all do. You get to chapter 4, there's this extended passage just talking about what to do when you do stumble, when you've drifted from God, how to get back to Him. So James knew... um, from his involvement with other Christians, from his his looking at his own life. He knew that Christians will often mess up and fall into sin. So he's he's not talking about perfection in your life. He's talking about the direction of your life. What direction are you headed? If you've really met Christ... There has been a change in you. You went from basically going your way, your direction. You may have looked fine to everyone else. You may have been a member of the church even. But you were basically calling the shots in your life. You're going your way because you're in charge. But when you meet Jesus, you turn around. There's like this. Listen, I sometimes stumble. I have a long way to go. But I'm following him now. He's my king. He's my Lord. There's a change in the direction of your life. So have you seen that happen to you? Now, if you came to Christ as a child, you don't have a lot to compare, you know, your life before Christ with after. So that might be a hard question to answer. So maybe I should ask it this way. When you look at your, when you look at your life, you really think about what's happening with you. Do you see a growing concern for personal purity? Like if you're harboring really uncharitable thoughts towards somebody or judgmental thoughts, does that bother you? He's like, God, I don't want that. I don't want that chunk in my thoughts towards people. If, if, if you um, uh, see something that um, would lead you to sexually immoral thinking or, or uh, something that would, would pull you towards um, materialism or greed, does it like grieve you? I don't want that. I don't want that. Even if nobody knows, I, is there a growing desire for purity? And 
Do you see within you a growing concern for the needs of the poor and the suffering and the hurting around you? If you do, even if it's just a little bit happening, you know what? That's evidence that God has really saved you. And that's a reason to rejoice. You know, you know why you care about purity? You know why you care about the poor? It's not because you're such a great person. You are not such a great person. It's because Jesus has come to you. And he's met you and he's changed you. And that's reason for happiness. Now, somebody might be saying here, you know, even when you explain it that way, I don't think there's been any change in me. I'm just being honest. I don't think there is. So that's my third point. How do I, so how do I pass the test? Because I'm in trouble. So here, here's, how do you pass the test? This will sound strange, but um, I'll try to explain. The way to pass the test for whether or not you have genuine faith, the way to pass the test is to stop worrying about passing the test. Stop worrying about it. Don't worry about passing the test. <laughs> worry about fixing the problem. Let, let me try to illustrate. A few years ago, a major, major automobile manufacturer, it, it's no secret, so I'll just tell you it was Volkswagen, all right? Volkswagen discovered a few years ago that one of their cars, one of their cars could not pass the test um, for the, the U.S., United States emission standards, which was bad news. Like, if you can't sell in America, that's a huge market. Gonna, they're not going to be able to sell their car here. They, they realized that their car was not, the engine wasn't running clean. It was polluting too much. So, instead of redesigning the engine, fixing the problem, they said, man, we got to pass this test. we got to figure out how to pass the test. So here's what they did. Without many people knowing, some of them, somebody re- Somebody programmed the onboard computer so that every time you hooked up the car to test the emissions, it would run clean. But as soon as you take it off the test, it starts polluting again, right? So they could pass the test. And if if you followed the news at all, you know what happened. They got busted, right? They got caught. And it was just devastating for their company. Their stock prices plummeted. They're fined billions and billions of dollars all over the world. Some executives gone to jail. It was didn't work, all right? So you're saying, why, why are we talking about cars here? What does this have to do with anything? Well, listen. Their mistake was they tried to pass the test. Rather than just saying, you know what? We need a new engine. If you're not passing the test, don't worry about it. Don't try to pass the test. You need a new heart. Let me explain. James chapter 1, second part of that chapter, talks a lot about Scripture, this, this vibrant relationship. Anyone who's ever really been born of the Holy Spirit and met Jesus will find within them this growing love for Scripture. Christians love the Bible, all right? Real Christians do. You hear me say that? You might be saying, I hate the Bible. It's boring. I don't understand it. I don't know what it means. I can't stand reading the Bible. I'd rather get my teeth pulled. I just don't like it. But I want to pass the test. So I'm going to go home. I'm going to force myself to read the Bible 15 minutes every day. I don't care how miserable I am. I'm going to make myself do it because I want to pass the test. Later in the book of James, he talks about prayer. Chapter 4, chapter 5, talks about prayer. Listen, 
Anyone who's ever really met Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come to live within you. You have communion with the Holy Spirit. You actually know him. And, and there is, you, you start to love talking to your Savior. You start to love prayer. You hear me say that? You're saying, oh, man, that's another one. I hate prayer. It puts me to sleep. I can't stand it. I don't even understand it. But I want to pass the test. So I'm going to go home. I'm going to force myself to kneel down and pray every single day. I'm going to hate it, but I'm going to make myself do it. And you could go on and on. James talks about helping the poor. He says, I can't stand poor people, but you know what? I'm going to sign up to help somebody. And, or you know, he talks about being pure. And, oh, I don't like purity. I love my sin, but I'm going, to, I'm going to do something to change. In other words, you could focus on passing the test. And you can, can you see the problem with that? You can only fake it for so long, Right? You might fool your family members. You might fool your elders, your pastor, the rest of the church. You're not fooling yourself, and you're not going to fool God. It's, so here's what Jesus said. He said the thing is not to worry about looking like a Christian. The thing is to let God make you one. Here's the way he phrased it. Matthew 7, he said this. Jesus said, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And so he said in Matthew 12, make the tree good and the fruit will be good. So Jesus said, listen, don't worry about, um, let's say I'm supposed to be an apple tree, but I keep producing oranges. You know, man, I'm supposed to have a different kind of fruit. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out and I'm going to tape apples all over the tree. Jesus said, don't do that. You need to become a new tree. If, if there's a change on the inside, you, the outside will follow. So how do you pass the test? Listen, um, the guys at Volkswagen, they, they, they tried to pass the test. They should have just made a new engine, right? So you, here's where, here's where that analogy falls apart. You can't design a new heart. Those German engineers could have designed a new engine. You cannot make a new heart for yourself. God needs to do it. He needs to send you the Holy Spirit. He needs to make Jesus real to you. He's the only one can do it. But you know what? That doesn't mean you can't ask him. You can ask him. If, if, if you hear me talking about what, what is the evidence that one has really, really been saved, you're saying, I don't think I really know Christ. You know what you need to do? You need to start crying out for Christ. Thank God, will you make Jesus real to me? Will you send your Holy Spirit to me? And listen, if you go into a process of doing that, I just want to encourage you with this verse. I love this verse. Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, your Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So ask. Amen? Let's pray together. God, this kind of passage is a hard one, but you give it to us because you love us. You don't just want a bunch of people going through the motions at church to make you look good. You want us really to know Jesus. So if anyone here hasn't met him, would you introduce them to him? Amen.